Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. We are going to be taking a break from Luke today just to share a one Sunday message. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. We're going to look at a new type of freedom. A freedom to love others. Here in America, we enjoy a freedom that is the envy of the world. Now, I understand that many today may argue with that statement. Especially today, if you've seen the news uh, this weekend, Twitter, Facebook. Not all believe that. They're complaining that many in America are not experienced the freedom. However, in relation to the other nations of the world, the United States stands head and shoulders in liberty and freedom. Our national anthem declares boldly that we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. Have we always lived up to those expectations and those lofty ideas? We would have to honestly say, no, we have not. But yet, we are a nation who attempts to do so. And we recognize that we are a flawed people and that we believe in the depravity of humanity. But we also believe that, uh, that God has given us uh, an opportunity to do something special within our nation. We cherish those freedoms and most of our political, religious and cultural wars are ra- waged in the name of securing or mo- maintaining our freedoms and liberties. Interesting, even those who would want to change our society and our nation uh, drastically still rely on the very freedoms and liberties that we have to accuse us of those things and to take those things away. The irony exists. But we also must realize that our freedom does not come free or cheap. Real blood, sweat, and tears have been shed to secure and retain those freedoms. Lives have been lost, capital has been spent, and sacrifices have been made so that we may enjoy our freedom. Is that not true? Freedom comes with responsibility and obligations. We must never forget that. We must always remember that we are part of this ongoing experiment of the American Republic and its democratic principles, that all men are created equal, that all are endowed by the Creator with uh, certain unalienable rights, and that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. However, one of the things you've heard me say is that we're not here to pursue the American dream, but we're to, we're to pursue that hope, that confident expectation that's found in Christ. But I want to share with you this morning a greater freedom, as I just spoke about, than that of personal liberty. It's a freedom that is more satisfying than the pursuit of happiness and a freedom that truly gives life. This is a freedom that comes as an amazing gift from its creator to his children. It's a freedom that is secured not by the blood and sweat and tears of human sacrifices, but by the blood of the precious lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. It's a freedom that cannot be lost in an election It cannot be surrendered by a court order or dissolved by an act of Congress. This freedom comes not from human will, but from the will of the Father. This freedom that comes from the wonderful news of the gospel. Now, up to this point in the letter to the Church of Galatia, 
and we're looking at the book of Galatia, the letter to Galatians this morning. Paul has now been defending the gospel of Christ that there is only one way that you and I are made right with God and can become part of the family of God. And that is by grace through faith. Paul had warned the Galatians up to this point, just as a, as a quick summary of the letter. Paul had warned the Galatians not to accept any other gospel than the one that he presented to them and that anyone who teaches another gospel is accursed. Now, let me say as a side note, a pastoral note, this warning and fight is still applicable for us today as well. There is a new religion that has risen in these last few months or that has been, uh, that has been lit by a bonfire of, 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 of alleged things going on and things that are going on. And that religion is powerful and it is sweeping the nation. Uh, there is always another religion. Let me say there is always another gospel that is being preached alongside the, the true gospel. And we must always be aware of that, not just in our political and cultural wars, but here in the church. Because this religion that I'm talking about that is like wildfire seeping through is not just political and culture. It is now in the pews. It is in the pulpit. It is in the the preaching and teaching of some men that I truly admire and looked up to and and have used as resources uh, to point you to other good men and women that I've read in the past. Unfortunately, there is one gentleman that I've been using in our Luke study that I finally said that I could not use anymore because his trajectory has moved him to a place that is very dangerous. And so I'm not, I'm very concerned. And, and so I, I try to be very careful of who I point you to, knowing that they may be right in this area, but if, if they're leading somewhere else, you may find uh, them going in a direction. And I believe that is moving us away from the gospel. So as a side note, that wound up being a little bit longer than I meant. This warning and fight is still applicable to us today. We must <coughs> excuse me, be aware that the gospel is always under attack and we must stand for it and fight against it. As you may recall from our study several years ago as we went through this book, the Galatians had been seduced by the Judaizers. This is a group of people preaching and teaching a different gospel. They were men and women who had proclaimed to know Christ and had surrendered to Christ. However, they said that you must be circumcised if you're a male and then observe the Mosaic law to be part of the family of God. In other words, you have to live like a Jew to be saved. So they would say, yes, uh, salvation is by faith, by grace alone, plus... And that's what the extra gospel is. And that's the gospel that's actually going through the church today. It says, yes, you're saved by grace, but you must also do this. Anything that's gospel plus is not the gospel. Or anything that's the gospel and minus this is not the gospel. And we must be aware of this. To Paul, this teaching that you must be circumcised and now live like a Jew was dangerous because he understood as a Jew who was zealous for the law and lived his life under the law, saved no one. The law, the Mosaic law, doing the Ten Commandments or the 613 commandments of the law could not save anyone. It never made you right or justified in God's eyes. It was a temporary uh, passing of God's judgment. 
The law had no power to do so. Its purpose was not to save, but to point out man's need for a savior. It served to show us that we needed a guardian, someone who could tell us that we are not as good as we think we are. It was a guardian to the Savior. The offspring of Abraham had arrived. This is Jesus Christ. And Paul proclaims that Jesus is the offspring, the Savior of the world. Yes, the law is perfect. And it's pure. And it contains the word of God. And it is still beneficial for us as Christians today. But it had served its purpose. Paul quoted the law in writing that the righteous shall live by faith. To demand that one now would observe part of the law is to be accountable to observe all that the law requires, which no one other than Jesus Christ could ever do. To continue to live according to the law was to curse one to death. So instead of requiring everyone to live by the law, Christ had come to set man free from the law by his perfect obedience to that law. I know this, hopefully this is, uh, you're, you're tracking with me here. In his death, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that is on all of the, his creation by bearing the penalty of our sin. The wages of sin is death. That is the essence of the gospel and it's worth defending. Now, as we come to this passage of Galatians, Paul is encouraging the Christians at Galatia to live out the freedom found in the gospel. The gospel declares that we have been set free from the burden of trying to produce our own righteousness. That is, by the way, that is the sum of all of man's religions. Whether it's Islam, Buddhism, uh, uh, any others that you might find, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism. It's all trying to produce your own righteousness. It's trying to make yourself right in God's eyes and in your own more so than in God's. But we're set free from that burden of trying to produce our own righteousness in order to be made right with God and be accepted by God. In chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom God has set us free. So he says, Stand firm, therefore, in that, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, you've been set free. Do not go back into slavery. That is the the challenge for all of us today. Even today, as you are in the gospel, there is a pull today, even in the Christian church, even in churches that you and I would say are, are filled with good men and women who profess Christ, there is a pull now to go back to slavery. And we must understand that that is accursed to God. The gospel declares that we have been set free from the burden of trying to produce our own. But he also warns that with freedom comes great responsibility. And this is not a Spider-Man reference, though I just got that in my mind. So now you have it, right? Don't think of a pink elephant. Go. He warns that freedom comes with great responsibility and expectations. I think we have it here on the monitor. Thank you. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, what? Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, 
uh, this passage is so relevant to us today. We thank you for this. And I thank you that you delivered the church Galatia from that. Lord, I pray that you do so today that we at OVBC and and other churches that we love, that our family and friends go to, and others that profess you, Father, that they would not be seduced into following another gospel. Make us aware. Keep us alert. Help us to defend it. Help us to know it, to live it out in all of its implications. And Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you just work through our hearts and cause us to love one another as you've given us liberty to do so, freedom to do so. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What I'd like to do now is take that verse and give you four observations so you can follow along with me. Four observations as we look at that verse. First one, Paul here is reminding them of their calling. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. He's writing about our freedom from the law and being delivered from sin, that curse of death, and our attempt to be right, made right with God on our own eyes. There's, there's no way that we could do it. So he says, you no longer need to be made right with God on your own terms through obedience and good works. Paul is reminding them once again that they have been released from the burden of producing their own righteousness. And that is the the wonderful news of the gospel. That is the gospel. What Christ has done, what God had required. God says you must be what? Perfect. As the Father is perfect. And is there anyone here who is perfect? No. Now, those of you who are married know that better than anyone else because you have a spouse that usually reminds you of that, right? Or if you have children, they'll remind you of that. But you and I must, must realize that God requires perfection. Adam and Eve failed in that. We fail in that. Our children fail in that. No one has been able to live that perfect life Until Jesus Christ came. Amen. And he did what God required. Complete, perfect obedience to the law of God. For that's what the law of God. It shows us who God is and where he is. And it shows how short you and I come to that. But yet in the folly of man, we continue to try to work our way or to make ourselves right with God. But let me share with you, the gospel is very clear. We have a wonderful God, a beautiful God. One who created all that there is. <clears throat> and he sped his, sent his, or he sent his special revelation or his, <clears throat> excuse me, general revelation so that we may know who he is. When you see the beauty of the sky, you see the, the beauty of nature. When you see the birth of a little baby being born, you see God's revelation to us. Declaring that I exist, worship me. That's what God has called us to do. And in that, we know that God is, is not only wonderful, but he has created us with, with, the, with the, the object that we would look at him and he would be the supreme object of our admiration. Everything that you and I have, every legitimate pleasure that you, you enjoy is a gift from him to you. Every heartbeat, every function of our organ is a gift that he could take it at any moment. He gives life. And he takes it back. And he created us. But yet you and I know that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they they fell into sin. And as our representative, we have now fallen into sin. The Bible says that all have come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There is none righteous. You say, wait a second, what about my sweet grandmother? Even your sweet grandmother was born in sin. 
The Bible tells us that our hearts are far from God. It actually tells us that when we are born, that our minds are hostile to God. There's none that can please Him. And our whole life is spent, whether it's 70 years, 80 years, 100 years, whatever it may be, is spent being hostile towards God, seeking our own, rebelling against Him. Yet at times, that doesn't mean that we cannot do good things. Doesn't mean that your, grand, your sweet grandma cannot do good things. We all can, but yet even those, the Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our good works are as filthy rags. Because they cannot measure up to a holy God. And so you and I must recognize that our sin is more than just uh, just on the surface with a few items that we do. Yes, sometimes I lie. Sometimes I have bad thoughts. But you do those things, it's because your heart is evil. And so we try some behavior modification, religion, or some other types of things to kind of change our attitudes and our minds. But yet, it works for just a while. But it's so depraved that it can never really truly change us. And that's because it's our nature. It's our nature that is fallen. And we cannot make that which is broken restored on our own. Again, that's the folly of all religion. We don't believe this is a religion. We, we believe we have something much greater than that. Have we made it a religion through our traditions, through our liturgies? Yes, we, we, we fail in that many times. But we need to understand that we needed a savior, not a life coach, not a motivator, not a social influencer. We needed someone to come and make us right with God. So God gave us the law and directed us toward him, but it had no power. It said, do right. It said, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not do these things. But it gave us no power to accomplish those things. All it did was give us something that we could not do. It made us fail each and every time. So God made a way. And I know I'm giving you a quick rundown of the Old Testament real quick. So God says, because the penalty of sin is what? Death. Something must die in your place. Why do we have death? Because of sin. Why did a lamb die, an innocent little lamb? Because of our sin, your sin. But God says, I am going to make a better way, a way that will last for eternity, one that does not have to be done every time you sin or every year to make atonement for you. So God sent his son, Jesus, the perfect God-man, who for 33 years never did no wrong. He did exactly what the Father expected of him. He was perfect in every way. And in his active obedience, he earned our righteousness, the way that we were made right. In his passive obedience, by allowing himself to go to the cross, he gave up his life. He gave us the, he satisfied God's wrath against us. Now you say, okay, that's awesome. But what does that mean for me, for you? Well, that means that if you understand that, if you accept that, and you recognize in your heart that you are a sinner without hope, then if you trust that Jesus did that and respond in faith, God will take you in and make you one of his children. I pray this morning, if you have not done so, would you do so? See one of the elders, Randy, Landon, and I, 
or anyone else here, here they can share with you how you too can know that you today have eternal life. It is the most wonderful gift that God has given his creation. That's his special revelation. It's greater than the sun, the moon, and the stars and all of the galaxies. It's more profound than all the science that we understand and cannot understand. This is the gift of God to his creation, to those who are willing to accept it. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be what? Saved. I know many of you done so this morning. You've done so in the past. I pray that if there's any here that has not done so today, would you do so? Because God reminds us that we have a calling. We have been set free from the curse of sin and death. So Paul reminds them of the calling. You were called to freedom, brothers. Brothers is that term used for Christians. And you're called to freedom. You're no longer enslaved to sin. But then number two, the second observation, is Paul now gives them a precept. And you've heard me talk about this before. A precept is a command. And look at verse 13b, the second part of verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to please yourself, but what? Through love, serve one another. Now, there's a key there before you go off. If you can just hold that on there. Through love, serve one another. If you take that love out and it just says, and serve one another, you've missed a big point. Yes, you can serve others, but it's only with love that it does become a blessing from God. It's through the fruits of the Spirit. To serve one another out of, out of duty or, or obligation or just to make yourself feel better has no eternal value. It may have value to the person that you're serving. But again, we know when those who serve us are servicing us out of love. But he goes, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. One of the most popular political and social philosophies growing today is that of libertarianism. A libertarian is a person who believes that people should be allowed to do and say what they want without any interference from the government. As long as I hurt no one else, it should be legal. And according to the website of that Libertarian Party, it is America's third largest political party. It's founded in 1971. Their vision, and this is a quote, is for a world in which all individuals can freely exercise the natural right of soul dominion over their own lives, liberty, and property. Now, in, in, now there is a lot in libertism uh, or libertinism that I, that I can agree with. But the Bible puts it this way in Judges, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. For there was no king in the land. And many of us as Christians live our lives as if there is no king in the land. But we have a king, and he's given us his commands. He's he's given us his expectations. And he said, I've set you free to love and serve one another. We love our freedom. We desire it immensely. Even as children and teenagers, we, we begin to seek our freedom. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, sought out their own independence from God with devastating and eternal consequences. We stand today in a world that is just turned around with sin and decay and corruption because of that desire to be free from God. 
most likely Paul is writing this to warn those that might overreact to Paul's teaching on grace. Because grace says that God forgives us of our sin. Some might be tempted to move from the legalism of the law to the opposite danger of libertinism. And that's, that, that's a different type of term that comes from the same Greek word. He says, listen, I'm not asking you to get away from legalism. And that's what's happening with the Judaizers. They're saying, no, you need to be, live in a legal type of way. There's a legalism that will rule your whole life. And Paul's saying that's not true. You have a freedom, but don't let that freedom go all the way to the other side. Libertarianism is a lifestyle or a pattern. It's a behavior that's characterized by self-indulgence and a lack of restraint. And does that not seem to be the spirit of the age, even in American church? Especially one involving sexual promiscuity and rejection of religious or other moral authority. Paul is answering that question as, does justification by grace through faith, does that lead to a lawlessness or a cheap grace? That's why they're telling, telling these Galatians, no, you've got to live by the Mosaic law or you're not a Christian. Paul says, wait, no, you're, you're free from that. But they're saying, Paul, if you're free from that, then you're just going to go and live life as you see fit. And Paul is saying, no, 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 because I don't want you to live your freedom as an opportunity to fulfill or to indulge in yourself. You and I, many times as Christians, we make freedom for our excuses for sinning. Well, I don't need to obey the law anymore. We say that. And I don't, we don't believe that, by the way, as this church. We believe that the law is pure and good. It will not make you right, but it's still binding because it's the, it's the morality of God. Since Jesus died for my sins, I don't need to worry about love. I've got my, my fire insurance card, my get out of free hell card. Or, oh, I have liberty to live any way I want since God will give me more grace. Paul answers that. Should I sin more that grace may abound? God forbid. Or no matter what I do, and this is the mindset many people of, of Christian state, or at least it seems to be, because they say, well, no matter what I do, God will forgive me, First John 1, 9. So, and he'll let me go to heaven so I can live any way that I want. What they've done is they've cheapened grace, just like we've cheapened the freedoms of America many times. We forget the sacrifice and what it cost. In Colossians chapter 2, I think we might have it on here on the monitor. It says, you who are dead in trespasses, you've seen me, I love this verse. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took those demands against us, the ways in which we have failed and not conformed to God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. And it says he nailed them to the cross, that record of wrong. He set aside, nailing it to the cross, and then he disarmed the rulers and authorities and carried them to open shame. By triumphant. In other words, those who may accuse you of wrong, God has disarmed them by saying, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we were, we were enslaved by our natural desires. But now we are made free. Yes, we see in Romans, the flesh still lingers seeking control in our life, does it not? That, that, that balance, that tension of Romans 7 where we still fight with sin. 
But do not let your freedom become the platform for sin. Thomas Schreiner, who's a theologian and pastor, writes that freedom from law does not mean freed from all moral obligations. It's imperative for a Christian to still continue to live a life that is marked by those moral commands of God. Life in the Spirit expresses itself in what we're going to here today in service of others. How will you know you they are you how will they know you are one of my disciples? Anyone want to share with me what it is? By your love for one another. He has called us. We're not set free to fulfill our own selfish desires or the selfish desires of our others. Speaking of our parents or our spouses, our children, employment, employers or government or others, but to serve others in love. This is a drastic change in motivation and purpose. Instead of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, we ought to seek out the good of others and true freedom. If you and I are truly free, set at liberty, that freedom is expressed by loving others. The third is Paul gives them a principle, the why. When God gives you a precept, a command, he will always in scripture give you the principle, why? Well, why do I have to do this? And we see this in verse 14. What does he say? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I do the Ten Commandments? I don't even know if I could quote all Ten Commandments. Well, just say love your neighbor as yourself and you've got six of them. The other four are found in loving God with all our heart and soul and might and strength. Love is something that everyone applauds and promotes. Love is. Anyone remember that uh, old cartoon or comic in the comic book? It's the circle and it would be love is. And it was always some type of thing. It could be a Coke. It could be whatever it may be. They make statements like my idea of freedom is the privilege of doing what I want as long as it doesn't harm someone else. Or to see or to me, it's the ability to make choices guided by the law, the golden rule. You know, don't do unto others which they would have you do unto you. But in the end, you've heard me say this again, even the golden rule as we state it, the state, the guiding principle is myself. In other words, I'm going to treat people well so that they will treat me well. I'm going to be kind to others so they'll be kind to me. I'm going to love my wife and do things for her so she can do things for me. Again, then the guiding principle is still self. And that's not what he's called us to do. He's told us to take our our ego, our id, out when we're looking at what we're doing and how we're serving God. We are set free from sin and selfish pursuits to love and serve. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Paul commands us to owe no one anything except what? To love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled, what? The law. For the commandment, you should not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. There's an old phrase. uh, I'm going to mark where I am because I'm going to get lost here as I go on to these side tangents. You know, there's that. What is that old um, thing? Fences make good neighbors. You know, you know that concept? And you know, back where we're from, 
If people had fences in the yards, it typically was an old small chain link fence. You, you could easily jump over because if you hit your ball over there, you got to go get it, right? It was interesting when we moved to California, you know, and it's been, what, uh, almost 19 years. Uh, this, this actually, this, um, uh, this, this weekend was 19 years since we moved here to California. The thing that struck us was all the brick walls. I mean, if you could drive, I don't know if anyone in California actually can pull their car into their garage or not, but you could almost go into your garage and out of your garage and never see a neighbor. You, 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 and all of our activities happen where in the backyard, where we have walls so that we cannot see or hear or be involved with our neighbors. Uh, we had a, I, 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 I shouldn't tell you this, we did have a block party in our neighborhood yesterday. And uh, that was the first time in many years that I've seen any of them. How long have you lived here? Four years. Oh, how long? Well, we were 16 years. How long have you been here? Thinking, oh, I've never seen you. You must be new. No, they've lived here 10 years. I think there's something better than fences that make good neighbors. It's love. It's love. That makes good neighbors. Even when our neighbor is unlovable even when they are a grouch, even when they're particular about their yard. You see, we're called to love whether they love us or not. If you love those who love you, what good is that? Even the world does that, Jesus says. But love those that are unlovable. Love those that are difficult. Love those who are different from you. Love those who vote differently than from you. Uh Uh-oh, now we're having a problem here. Love those who think differently than you. Man, that's, a, that's a difficult thing to do. I, I can't do that perfectly. We love ourselves and we seek out our own good. Now God is calling us to seek out others just as much as you seek your own happiness, prosperity, and safety. So think about that. If we were to go back uh, to our, our, our Declaration of Independence... That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Now take this rule of loving yourself as your neighbor. So all men are created as equal as I am. And they are all endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. And among them are their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. In turn, how Jesus says, I should seek out their dreams and aspirations. I should love them more than I love themselves. As much as I seek my own good, do I seek that for others? That's a hard word. For I think many of us probably fail in that more times than we're successful. But yet we just keep it out of our mind. But I'm here to tell you that that as we celebrate with, with fireworks and all sorts of other types of things, this needs to be a firework in your life and in your mind. Am I using my freedom and liberty to love and serve others? Believers need to live out the love of God, or we live out the love of God when we serve others. When Paul writes that the Old Testament law is fulfilled, he means that Christ, in his perfect obedience, fulfilled for us what we could not do. He's also pointing out that the moral law of Moses did not include every conceivable thing. So how do we know what the will of God is in any circumstance where I cannot find it either cast in stone or in black and white? How do I know whether or not I am pleasing God? Well, a good indicator is to determine whether or not 
You are loving others. Is it moral or not? Am I serving others? Is this something that benefits my neighbor? Is it something that benefits my children? Am I loving them? 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. This love does not come from the flesh. You and I cannot do this type of love. We cannot produce this type of love. I've shared this once before again. When Dawn and I stood, you know, 32 years ago. Did I get that right? 33 years? Help me out. 33 years ago. And we stood up before a pastor and our family and friends and said, I do. I love you. I will commit to those things. We were lying to each other because we cannot do those things. We may have good intentions, But there is no way any couple can do that except through Christ. And we have learned that the hard way. And we are doing that better now than we actually did it back then. At least I am. She was always pretty much perfect. And she did that always. And I will say, I know God's love better and more deeply because of her. Because she has loved me with the love of Christ and the love of God that I never would have experienced without her. Now, am I going to say that I have experienced the work of Satan because of my children? No, I will not say that. (laughs) And is this being recorded? Forgive me. Grandma, they are perfectly wonderful grandchildren. (laughs) I love them as well. This love only comes from the Spirit. How does one serve in love? How can you tell and whether or not you're serving as one another? You know where I'm going to go, right? 1 Corinthians 13. It's here on the screen, I believe. Love is patient and kind. Does not envy, does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Real quickly, I think I have a slide here just to make it easier for you to see if you're taking notes. So let's bring those words down real quickly. Patient, love that's tolerant. We live in a world that preaches tolerance, but is intolerant if you're not as tolerant as they are. That's a, that's a, that's a word twister. That's a tongue twister. But love is Tolerant. To those who don't vote like you, think like you, act like you, love is patient. Mercy, that's a love that is tender. It's a love that is kind. It's not harsh. Love is also encouragement. It's a love that is thoughtful. One that thinks of others. This is one that, that many times I fail because I'm not a very thoughtful person. I, someone does not well, I wish I would have thought of that. It's also obedient. It's a love that trusts. And then confrontation. It is a love that is tough. In other words, love does not mean always compromising, though sometimes that may come in, but it's awful also confronting. There's times when we must confront evil, speak the truth in love. And so we must do that. We live in an age now where we can't, If we confront someone, then that's wrong and you can be canceled out. Whether you're canceled out or not, we must truly love in the way that God loves. So ask this question of yourself. 
How can I serve blank in love? Who has God put in your life today that you need to love like this? And not just those who are easy to do that with and do that to, but how about those in your life that this is difficult? Who do you struggle with being patient with? Who do you struggle with giving mercy or encouragement or being obedient to or confronting? That's what God has called you to do. You have the freedom to do so. You are called to do so. Let me give you that fourth warning. Paul gives them a warning. And you and I must stand up and take attention of this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This ought to be Twitter, the next door app. We live in an age today in which each other, all we do is bite and devour one another. That is the world. That should not be so in the church. But yet churches are biting and devouring one another. We are consuming each other. We are are Christian cannibals eating one another. It has been said that the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. That's very true many times. Let it not be said of your marriage, of your family, and our church, and our neighbors, that we as Christians are biting and devouring and consuming one another. Now, we have already seen in Paul's many letters that the unity of believers is a big concern. He has pointed out that God is reconciling man not only to himself, but he's reconciling man to man. And this is the problem with the new religion that's rising up. It's this point of there's never any atonement. There's never any acceptance of forgiveness. There's only more work that you must do. Our freedom is not to cause dissension among the church. Most likely there have been factions in the church of Galatia that were fighting over supporting Paul and those who were wanting to support the Judaizers. Unity, mark this down if you're taking notes, unity is the mark of a believer. It is the mark of a healthy church. No matter who you vote for, no matter where you fall in the political cultural uh, structure, Unity is a necessity. A lack of love shows who is genuine and who is not. And you cannot have unity without love. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to be reading this passage and part of it. He's talking about uh, them coming together, the, the, the churches coming together in um, communion. And they're infighting. And he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you. So in other words, there will be factions in church and in the gospel, so that we may be able to tell who is genuine among you. And those, he says, who cause the factions and division, what does he say? Drive them away from you. Put them out. A community of believers is a tough testing ground to live in love. James 4 comments, What causes quarrels? What causes fighting among you? What is turning this this nation topsy-turvy? Is it not this? 
that your passions are at war within you. You desire, you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. This is not just the protesters and rioters in the streets. This is just not in the assembly halls of our Congress, in the Senate hall. This is right here in the church. This is in Christian families. We must find this and see this. We must eradicate it. So you and I must recognize that we have been called to freedom. A freedom to love others. For that's truly what God has called us to do. I'd like to leave you with some practical living steps. How do you and I live this out? Well, first, there's something you need to know. And what you need to know is that everyone you come in contact with is your neighbor. And it's an opportunity to express God's love. Do not lose every opportunity to express your, uh, God's love, no matter who you meet with. These are God's ordained times for you. Here's something to do. Challenge yourself this week not to a random act of kindness, but to esteem others better than yourself. And deliberately, deliberately treat them with that attitude in mind. So as you wake up in the morning, look for a way to esteem others. Whether it's your wife, your children, it's the neighbor, it's your coworker, it's your boss, it's the guy who's going to hit you up for change when you're getting your coffee. Look to esteem them better than yourself. And then to be. What are we to be as Christians? Well, you cannot have unity and love others unless you're humble in the face of God's great love for us. For once, we were sinners and rebellious and disobedience. But God loved us first. See, God loved you when you were unlovable, when you were shaking your fist at him, when you desired nothing from him and your mind was hostile, he won you over by his wonderful love. You and I are to share and express that to others. Let me lead you with, leave you with this one word of encouragement. It's found in Romans chapter 12. 9 through 21, by the way, is a great passage if you want to see what it should be like in the church, but just give you two of the verses. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with with brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. You have been set free. You can express your liberty best by loving others. Would you do so this morning? With every head bowed, every eyes closed, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do so, I'm going to ask you to just take a moment to pause. And consider what we shared with you this morning through scripture and through God's word. Would you pray and you would ask the Holy Spirit, how can I love others? How can I express this freedom, this liberty better? To whom are you calling me to do so? Who am I not doing this too well? And ask and give you the strength to expose any pride, any sin in your life. If you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus as your Savior. I pray today that you would come and find out that we may share with you how you may know today where you would spend eternity at. That you can experience God's love as well. For without that, you would express nothing but God's wrath. Would you respond to whatever the Holy Spirit may be calling you to do this morning? Father, we thank you for your goodness. 
We thank you for your love for us. And you have set us free and given us liberty now to love others with the same love and compassion that you've given us. Make us efficient. Lord, expose the ways in which we are still living for ourselves. The ways in which we're, we're, we're not living out the command to love others. Give us the courage and the strength to do so. Lord, change our hearts and our minds to consider others better than ourselves. Maybe not in, in value. We're not talking about a value judgment. But the fact that we see them as you see them. People who need you. We thank you for this opportunity. Let us make the most of it until the day you come again. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us and let's close out before communion. My one comfort. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.